Bah, 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 bah. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, ball, ball, ball. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, waking up again, cause I was how with friends. We be Arctic in a frying pan. What's important, man? You want foil, man? Illuminate and then distorted, man. I'm submerging in, it's a fact. Off the bench from the west side, for the west side, high echelon. Serving them like restaurants. Hey, same, same. We are not the same. Same, same, 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 we are not the same. Yo, what's poppin'? Welcome back. Welcome to another episode of the ISO Podcast. I am your host, Trey Crowder, and we are back for episode number 27. I know we have had some time off, but as everyone knows, coronavirus has decided to take a shit on the world. So (laughs) as me being a, a citizen in the United States, which is located inside the world, I have been affected by it as well. So uh, just trying to get some things in order. But other than that, I've still been keeping my eye tapped in on what's going on in the world of basketball, of course. And uh, we're going to talk about it today. So this past week has been kind of busy. I mean, the Michael Jordan documentary first aired. You know, we're going to talk about that. The WNBA draft took place. So shout out to those ladies. So we got some stuff to talk about. Um, and then, of course, all the uh, decisions from the, the top high school basketball players on where they'll be playing next season. So we got some things to get into, but as usual, we're going to start off with the birthday shout out. So I'll go with, uh, on this fine Tuesday morning, we'll say happy birthday to Jared Allen. Jared Allen just turned 22 today. If you're not familiar with him, he is the off and on starting center for the Brooklyn Nets, but real athletic. You probably know him by that big Afro. Um, and another Allen, but Allen Houston, former, uh, New York Knicks shooting guard, I actually used to see him drop a lot of buckets back in the day. Wasn't a big Hoops fan early on, but I remember when I used to watch him, it seemed like he used to never miss. But uh, Allen Houston, he turned 49 yesterday. And uh, Danny Granger, former uh, bucket getter for the Indiana Pacers, he was there like right before Paul George burst onto the scene. But he was pretty nice. He was kind of like a – he didn't play like Paul, Paul George, but he was around the same height and he can get a bucket too. So pretty similar in his game in terms of being perimeter-oriented but still having that height to go along on the wing. Uh, he turned 37 yesterday as well. And then this past Sunday, Lugans Dort. I'm sure I pronounced that shit horribly wrong, but I know who he is. He played at Arizona State. I actually seen him play one game in college. Um, he won one and done, I believe. And now he is on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Carved out a starting role, too, just playing defense. Um, so he found his role early. Hopefully he expands his game and he can have a pretty long NBA career. But he just turned 21 this past Sunday. Kelly Olenek, I'm sure you guys remember him for fucking up Kevin Love's arm in the playoffs. <laughs> that cost LeBron James a championship. Uh, Kelly Olenek, he turned 29. He has had a surprisingly decent season, too, on the, the Miami Heat. Everybody on that team has been having a breakout campaign, so shout out to them. Uh, Gabe Pruitt, former USC standout. He actually, I think he won a ring with the Boston Celtics when uh, Rajon Rondo was there. I remember earlier in that season, there was a... Uh, 
debate whether Rondo or Gabe Pru would be the starter. And I think uh, Rondo ended up beating him out for the starting job. But uh, Gabe is a bucket getter. Uh, went to Westchester High, played with Nick Young at USC. So he's like a hometown hero. He just turned 34 on Sunday. And then Russ Smith, uh, Russ Diculous, as they called him, he played at Louisville. Uh, real dynamite scorer, only stands about six foot two, but he go get you a bucket to this day. I think he scored like 67 or some shit in a game overseas, uh, but he just turned 29, so I'm sure he's still playing somewhere. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, forward for now the Utah Jazz. He played for the Indiana Pacers last year, but he just turned 31. Really productive. He's probably going to be good for a while because he doesn't use a lot of athleticism to his game. So happy birthday to him. Uh, Caleb Swanigan this past Saturday turned 23. He is a young big man for the Portland Trailblazers. Used to play at Purdue, starting to play some minutes with Portland this year as they try to figure it out. But happy birthday to that young man, Nicholas Claxton, uh, another Brooklyn net on here. He's a rookie forward out of Georgia. Uh, he just turned 21 on last week, so Friday. And then on the same day, C.J. Watson, former NBA uh I say backup point guard. He, he was a scorer. He'd come off the bench and get you a bucket, too. He played with the Golden State Warriors. I used to serve niggas on 2K with him. But he just turned uh, 36 last week on Friday as well. So uh, give all those guys a round of applause. Happy birthday to every single one of those fellas. And let's go ahead and move on to some NBA news. So the state of the NBA. Is this shit coming back or not? That's the biggest question. Everybody is waking up like drug addicts. Everybody is waking up like fiends, trying to see when they're going to get their next fix in NBA basketball. Uh, the NBA 2K shit was a dub for me. I didn't really mess with it much. I mean, me and my homies get more entertaining matchups just on a day-to-day basis <laughs> than, than what I saw. And just because they play good in the NBA don't mean they're going to be good in 2K. Like, most of the top seeds got washed in the first round. So that wasn't that entertaining to me. The horse competition was another dud like they just trying to figure shit out i would much rather them just take their time in the lab and just figure out something that works instead of throwing out bullshit product (laughs) to hold me over until you know we decide to play this season or not so it's much more serious shit at hand so i'll let them take care of it but these little loosey competitions they've been throwing out is it ain't it ain't been it for me i'm gonna get that shit of iso (laughs) fail but as far as the state of the nba uh last week Commissioner Adam Silver, he uh, actually held a press conference. It was like a video conference with the NBA's Board of Governors. And basically what he said in this uh, meeting essentially says that the season is a long shot from being completed. At least that's what I took from it. Um, He said the NBA remains committed to resuming the season, but there is still no timetable for a possible return or even a deadline for canceling the current NBA season. Based on the reports that we got from varied outside officials, current public health officials, we are not in a position to make any decisions. So that's what he said in a press conference. And he also said it's unclear when we will be able to make that decision. So I don't I I said on the I don't know if it's the last episode or the episode prior. I know I'm kind of still on the fence of saying that the NBA season is going to end. I don't think they're going to continue this season. I think they're going to cancel this one and just move on to next season because I think it's throwing off the timeline too much. Like, they're already talking about moving the draft. So just think how much more things are affected after you move the draft. You know, training camp, summer league. Like, that entire schedule is now impacted by this season if you consider – if you try and prolong it and actually make it still happen and crown a champion. Like, it's – this season is a wash. It wasn't a real season technically, so whoever even gets the championship, they're going to unfortunately be ridiculed anyway.
So that's why I think that way about it. Like, it's not that I'm being pessimistic. It's just I see a lot of roadblocks. And unfortunately, when you see a lot of roadblocks, it probably is going to make it really hard for you to get to your destination. And right now, if the destination is the current season coming back, I don't see that happening. But we just got to be patient and see. I know one thing the NBA got to figure out is how they're going to pay the players. <laughs> that moves me to my next NBA story. Um, the NBA salaries. Right now, the... Uh, they're kind of reaching agreements month by month. Like I know I, the last episode I talked about the NBA player salary and we learned about the Mahir provision, which allows a team to withhold certain parts of an NBA player's contract in the event of a pandemic. Like how fucking convenient is that? <laughs> NBA teams is going to find a way to cover their ass. And we're going to talk about that today too. Of course, this first topic I'm excited for, <laughs> but um, as far as the NBA salaries, it's the NBA and the NBA Players Association have agreed to a plan to withhold 25% of each player's paycheck beginning May 15th. So the League and the Players Union announced this last week on Friday, and this is a story um, published by ESPN. But it says the agreement clears the way for a gradual reduction in player salaries should the force Mahir provision and the collective bargaining agreement be enacted with the cancellation of regular season games. So players will still receive their full paycheck on May 1st. But like I said, as of May 15th, uh, things are going to change. It says the plan that is uh, implemented will serve as something of an escrow account that will return money to the player should all the remaining regular season games be played in a resumption of the season. Otherwise, teams will keep a percentage of the money based on the cancellation of games. So that is how the NBA players will be paid out um, going forward after May 15th. But uh, they will still get a full check on May 1st. And... Hopefully, I'm still getting a full paycheck by May 1st, man. <laughs> this shit has impacted everybody, man. I'm just trying to stay positive about it. Uh, you know, things are still good right now, but we just got to help one another in a time like this, man. Even NBA players, man, if they didn't manage their money right, they might be looking. You know what I mean? They might be looking crazy. <laughs> but um, moving on to some more basketball news, WNBA. So, like I said, just last week, the WNBA draft took place, um, and of course, of course, Sabrina Ionescu won number one. Give a huge round of applause to Oregon star, uh, American sweetheart right now, man. She took the world by storm in this past year. Started in the beginning with uh, Sabrina Ionescu leading her team over the uh, U.S. women's select team. Yeah, the U.S. team. Her college team beat them. And after that, it just seems like she was on every magazine cover. you just seen her everywhere, and for good reason. She's like... For people who don't watch uh, college basketball, women's college basketball specifically, she's like the female Russell Westbrook. <laughs> she gets triple doubles, but uh, she actually is. She was on on pace to lead her team to a championship. I don't think they would have lost another game. I definitely think they would have cut down the nets. But she now has something new to celebrate. Congratulations again to Sabrina Ionescu. She was selected first overall by the New York Liberty in the 2020 WNBA Draft, which took place last week. And her college teammate, uh, Sadu Sabali, was selected immediately after her. She was taken by the Dallas Wings with the second overall pick in the WNBA draft. So, like I said, that Oregon team had the number one and two pick <laughs> on, on their college team. So, like I said, they probably would have won the, NC, the, the NCAA uh, Division I title. And I, I would have looked forward to seeing that. But, like I said, she got something new to be proud uh, she was not only drafted to the WNBA, which she said was a lifelong dream, but she was selected first overall. So 
Looking forward to seeing big things from her as she makes her journey uh, throughout her professional career. And then uh, another shout out to the WNBA. They did something that was pretty dope. So um, they honored three of the victims from the uh, horrific helicopter crash that took the lives of Kobe and Gianna Bryant. The league had three honorary draft picks and they went out to Gianna Bryant and her teammates Alyssa Altabelli and Peyton Chester who unfortunately, um, you know, was on board that that helicopter that uh, took the lives of those nine individuals. So um, shout out to the WNBA. That was a huge stand. It was really dope to see because, of course, uh, all those girls love basketball. They were all on the same team and they were really good. So to see the WNBA still inviting them into their family, you know, making them a member of the professional family, even though they didn't quite make it, um, it's, it's a win, you know. And I, I always like seeing sentimental moments like this where people are paying homage and, you know, just doing respectful things and showing love to people who are no longer here. So huge shout out, round of applause to the WNBA once again for Sabrina Unescu on being selected first overall. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing big things from her. So uh, we got some draft hopefuls in the uh, NBA coming up. And this class is not considered loaded, like I've been saying, but I'm excited about this guy. Uh, North Carolina freshman guard Cole Anthony, he declared for the NBA draft last week. And he is expected to land somewhere in the lottery. He's six foot three, 190 pounds. That's like ideal for a point guard now in the NBA, maybe 195. That's like the same height as Damian Lillard, same size, uh, Kyrie Irvin, uh, Derrick Rose. Like that's the ideal height you want at the point guard position. He's super athletic. He can score. He averaged 18 points. Uh, Got to get his assists up. He averaged four assists and six rebounds. So he's going after the ball and he wants to score, but he ain't looking to pass much. Um, I want to see him land in a good scenario, though. I think that's going to be really important because this North Carolina team definitely let a lot of people down. So, you know, there's still going to be people looking to see, is he a winner? You know, you join a prestigious college like North Carolina, you expect to see wins, especially when you ask somebody of his talent level to the squad. And I get it. He was hurt this year, too, for a lot of it. So, um, he was one and done. We all kind of seen this. He was the number one point guard prospect uh, coming out of high school last year or so. And he also has NBA pedigree. His dad is Greg Anthony, who played some years in the NBA as well. So um, shout out to Cole Anthony. Want to see him do good in the league. And uh, like I said, just hope he lands in a really good situation. So um, as far as the topics that we got for today, so I said we got some fun topics, man. And I know y'all in the house. It's the quarantine season. I'm giving y'all some shit to to listen to. Please enjoy the, the you know, my instrumentals. I try to set a vibe with them, <laughs> but, you know, we're going to have some fun today for sure. So with the very first topic, we are getting into The Last Dance. Yes, we are talking about Michael Jordan's documentary that just aired uh, over the weekend. So we're going to talk about some things from uh, episodes one and two, which we've, already, which we've gotten a chance to see so far. And then we'll move on to quarter number two, where we're talking about, man, college and G League is been something that's been talked about, but now we're starting to see actual results from it um, based off some of the decisions from some of the top high school players uh, last week. So we'll talk about that and uh, see, you know, what's going to what's gonna be the new norm. And then no halftime segment still, so we'll jump right into the third quarter after that. And we're talking about another top prospect, Greg Brown III. Um, I've talked a lot about him on this podcast that I think he's going to be really good, but we're still waiting to hear his decision on where he'll play basketball next season. So we'll get some light on that and see, you know, where I think he'll end up. And then the last quarter of the day, we are taking it to Utah, Salt Lake City to be exact. And we are talking about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They got some smoke right now. Uh, he gave his nigga the coronavirus. So, of course, he ain't cool with that. <laughs> they beefing now. And they're the core of one of the better teams in the league. So 
we'll talk about that situation and see what the next steps are going to be for for those two, whether it be on different teams or on the same squad. So uh, without further ado, relax. Uh, Shout no 420 was yesterday. So if you're still 420 friendly, smoke you one. Uh, shit, if you cleaning up, whatever you doing, man, just vibe out, relax. We finna get into the episode. It's quarter number one. Let's tip it off, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to quarter number one. It is time to talk about the man who many people believe to be the greatest basketball player of all time. Yes, the one and only, the infamous Michael Jordan. Uh, The Last Dance documentary is about him and the Chicago Bulls during their dominant dynasty during the 90s. And in episodes one and two, which we got a chance to see this past Sunday, um, it was right smack dab in the middle of it. It's more so towards the tail end of their dynasty, but... Uh, between both episodes, they kind of bounce and for- bounce back and forth between the different eras. So, with this man, I hope you guys, if, if you're listening right now, I hope you left your pride and ego at the door. Uh, I hope you came in here to have an objective opinion about Michael Jordan because I think I, I've said this plenty of times. I think Michael Jordan is the best player of all time right now, but I think once it's all said and done, LeBron James will be once his career is over. LeBron James will probably be number one all time in scoring. And he'll probably finish top five in assists. So once you look at all those components and you look at LeBron James and the person he's been, and we look at the career of Michael Jordan, there were some ups and downs. And that's kind of what this documentary looks like is going to highlight. I think they will go a little bit deeper than most people initially thought they would, thought it would be pretty surface level. But I will say within the first two episodes, they haven't really given us much. So um, first and foremost, before I get into the episode, if you're not following me on Instagram and Twitter, please go ahead and do so. That's at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. And it is the same on Twitter and Instagram. And if you haven't already checked out the HoopFacts website, what the fuck are you doing? You're at home. It's quarantine. Go check it out. (laughs) www.hoopfacts.com. That's H-O-O-P. F-A-C-T-S dot com. And from there, you'll be able to see the latest basketball news uh, typed up by your boy, yours truly. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and get back into um, quarter number one, MJ. Yeah, man, I said we got to come in here with an objective approach because a lot of times when Michael Jordan's name is brought up, people act like this nigga's Voldemort or something, like the name who can't be spoken about, like people can't compare anything to him. He's a player just like everybody else. He did great things. All the greats had their moments of, you know, greatness to where they reign supreme over most of the people in the league. So, um, I, it was a few things I took away from this, and of course, I'll get into that. But let me first off state my theory. And this was something that I kind of came up with after watching the documentary, the first two episodes, because it was some things in there that made me kind of question Michael Jordan as a teammate. So the, my theory is Michael Jordan actually believes LeBron James is the best player of all time. And that's why he takes every opportunity to show the world that he, Michael Jordan, is in fact still the greatest of all time. Um, I think one thing that separates them in terms of being the greatest of all time is LeBron James being the better teammate. 
I know that's something that can't really be measured statistically. I mean, I guess you can if you look at stats because that's getting your teammates involved. But um, I got some examples. Like, everybody wants to play with LeBron. Every time LeBron is a free agent, everybody is wondering where he's going to go. Plenty of people are going to follow because it's King James. Who doesn't want to play with him? He's the chosen one. He's exceeded all the expectations that were put before him. You know if you're playing with LeBron, you're going to win. LeBron gets everybody paid. That's number one. If you plan on LeBron James' team, you're going to get the most exposure in the league. I don't give a fuck if y'all playing in Milwaukee. <laughs> Wherever LeBron is playing, the cameras are going to follow. He had Cleveland lit. Like, fucking Cleveland. Think about it. What have you heard about Cleveland ever since he left? Shit. Colin Sexton is averaging damn near 20, and don't nobody care. So that's what Cleveland is. But anyway, he's going to get everybody paid. He's going to help your brand grow um, in terms of endorsements, he's going to get you plenty of endorsement deals because you're going to be winning. You're going to be all over TV. Helps you get stability as a player. You know what I mean? It's a place where you can play with somebody like LeBron James. He, he pretty much made James Jones' career. James Jones went wherever he did, and now he has a front office position with the Phoenix Suns. Like That's how you parlay your teammates and, you know what I mean, people around you into better positions. And that's something LeBron has always done and it's something he's always wanted to do. Even with his childhood friends, when you look at where they are in life right now. And LeBron is a, a huge credit to putting them in that position. So, uh, and then even on the basketball court, if you win it, you're going to get bigger deals. So LeBron gets all his teammates play, uh, paid. Number two, he's humble. And I think LeBron is genuinely looking to pass on the court. Like LeBron James can revitalize a player's career to the point to where, you know, they may get their highest contract on the tail end of their career if they can do something really well, like a specialist, like um, fucking Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson should have never got paid what he did, but he was able to do something very well that helped LeBron James, you know, get over the top and win the championship, and it ended up getting him a bigger contract. So uh, that's kind of what I mean, and if LeBron facilitates and puts everybody in position to succeed, you know, whether it be offensively, defensively, like, he's helping you guys in an immense way to where he's a better teammate on and off the court than anybody we've ever seen in the NBA. And lastly, LeBron leads by example. You've never heard of LeBron James getting into any trouble off the court. Like, never. You, you've never heard LeBron James get into any kind of DUI scenarios or nothing. Imagine the microscope that's on his life. They tatted, I mean, not tatted, I'm, I'm tripping. They spray painted nigger on LeBron James' garage. You ain't see no retaliation. You don't see nothing like that. So LeBron James is just a different kind of guy. Look at Michael Jordan, for instance, and when you look at him as a teammate. There was literally a story that came out last week where Jerry Stackhouse came out and said that it was difficult um, in Washington playing with Michael Jordan because he grew up idolizing MJ, but at this point of his career, he knew he was a better player, and Michael Jordan knew it too, but he couldn't give it up. His ego wouldn't allow him to defer to stat. So that's, <laughs> I mean, shit, it's not even like I was fishing for that one, but that just came out last week. And then it's a known fact that MJ beat the shit out of Steve Kerr. Everybody laughs about it and talks about how, you know, LeBron James wanted to win so bad. He was competitive. It's almost like Michael Jordan gets the treatment of white quarterbacks in, in, um, in the NFL as, 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 as he does in the NBA. Like, what I mean to say is white quarterbacks, you know, if Tom Brady curses somebody out and he's a horrible teammate, he's just fiery and he's passionate. But if Cam Newton does the same thing, he's a headache and he's, he's a, a locker room cancer, you know? So that's kind of what Le uh, Michael Jordan gets the benefit of. Le Michael Jordan is so beloved by everyone, black or white, whatever race you are. If you love basketball, and especially if you were watching it in the 90s, the shit he was doing, 
you you can never see him doing anything wrong in your eyes because look, he's just, you know what I mean? He's this supreme figure who they felt like made basketball cool, which I get, you know what I mean? And I understand the impact he made, but in terms of just beating up your teammates, that shit ain't cool. Like, it's better ways to communicate. Like, that's disrespecting somebody as a man at that point. And shit, even if you look at the scenarios, I remember when, and I always say LeBron James should get more credit in terms of... Um, in terms of being able to be this great and sustain not getting into trouble in the social media era, like not getting caught up in any scandals on this because you're under a microscope at all times. So when you think about that and Michael Jordan didn't have to go through that, like you, you got to give LeBron some credit in that aspect too. And it's not that I'm fishing for credit for LeBron. I'm just calling it like I see it, which is why I said you got to come in here with an objective mindset on this because I'm not trying to shit on y'all childhood hero oh his everybody that's big Michael Jordan fans but think about it like this I remember a couple seasons ago when J.R. Smith forgot the score and it was a tie game and he didn't shoot the shot in the playoffs and he ran and LeBron James was pissed off you can see him saying what the fuck are you doing shoot the ball to J.R. Smith as he's retreating with the rebound as if they have the lead it was game one of the finals a few years ago but um Anyway, I remember in the huddle, LeBron James was so pissed because he had like 50 that night. He was so pissed. He was kind of sitting off to the side and he wasn't with everyone else. And I remember Skip Bayless and Jason Whitlock and all these bum ass fucking people on TV talking shit, talking down on LeBron James and how, you know, how could you not be in the huddle with your teammates? Just a quitter mentality. Okay, so he gets ridiculed for sitting (laughs) not close to the team in the social media era, but you have fucking Michael Jordan who was punching his teammates and that was okay. Imagine LeBron James if he would have punched J.R. Smith in today's era at practice over that shit. We would have never heard the end of it. It would have affected everything. LeBron James' whole image would have been different. And, you know, that's that's the story on that. So it just goes to show how much more difficult the time is now, how much more fragile, you know, our our, I guess, viewers are now to the point to where, you know, LeBron James is still finding a way to be productive as a teammate and finding a way to get people involved without even having to to get physical or even resort to violence to get his point across. So another thing that kind of supports my theory, too, um, in terms of Michael Jordan actually believing LeBron James is the greatest of all time and not himself, um, I think MJ intentionally, and I, I wouldn't even say this was like a plot, but I think Michael Jordan naturally embraced Kobe Bryant more than LeBron James. And I think they all have a genuine relationship, all three of them. I think it's like a sibling rivalry type thing. But I look at LeBron as like the youngest brother that actually became the best. Like he learned from the two ahead of him and took what they had and made himself even better. That's how I like to look at LeBron. But I think the reason why MJ embraced Kobe is because he's seen a lot of himself in him. You know what I mean? And it was like a mirror image. Like Kobe was a fucking clone of Michael Jordan on the basketball court. So I MJ even stated one time, he said, Kobe could probably beat me in a one-on-one because he steals all my moves. He said he would watch LeBron, though. He said he just cut off his right because whenever LeBron drives left, he pulls up for a jumper, and he said that's how he'll beat LeBron. I remember that was a big thing a few years back. But it's like he's always throwing jabs at LeBron, but always throwing support at Kobe. And I think it's because Kobe does the same thing as him, but he doesn't do it better. So... I mean, shit, Kobe had five rings. He had six. You know what I mean? In terms of Kobe's highest uh, uh, 
point per game average, I think, is right below Jordan. So that Jordan doesn't really see Kobe as a threat to unseat him as the, the best player. But, I mean, at the same time, I, like I said, I think they're all brothers. I think they all love each other. So it's not like no hate or no shit like that, but it's just competitive. They're all competitive in their own different way. But um, last thing I'll say on this, because I don't want this to be no LeBron, Jordan, hate type shit. Uh, just stating shit that I've noticed during the production of this uh, series and leading up to it. Um, last thing I'll say, and I promise I'll get into this documentary because I'm fucking 10 minutes in and I ain't said a word about what happened on the documentary. But um, fucking Michael Jordan gave permission to release this documentary during the 2016 finals parade. And if you think back and remember, that was the year that the Cavaliers came back from a 3-1 deficit and beat the Golden State Warriors. And who led them to the title? LeBron James. And who was being celebrated during that parade? LeBron James. And the greatest of all time conversation was heating up like crazy at that time because that was after LeBron James, you know, 3-1 in the finals is crazy in itself. But LeBron James leading that team to a win over the Warriors after they were considered by many people to be like the greatest team of all time. They beat the fucking Bulls record that year um, when they lost to the, the Cavaliers. They won 73 games. So when you look at all that and, you, I mean, you you take these facts and I'm not making this shit up. Like they said on ESPN, there's an article, you can go read it. He gave permission to release this doc during the 2016 Finals Parade. Like perfect timing, right? And then, I mean, we all know LeBron has always been very vocal about how he wants to surpass Michael Jordan and be viewed as the best ever, too. So uh, we'll see a lot from this documentary. I'm sure they'll reference it at times, um, probably in the later episodes, because they've kind of bounced around. Um, in the first couple episodes, we got to see Michael Jordan and his family. We learned that his father instilled that tough work ethic into him. Um, we also saw how the rivalry with his brothers at a young age birthed that patented competitive nature that we all correlate with Jordan. So... His father said a quote that embodies the essence of MJ that I thought was pretty cool. He said, tell him he can't do something and see what happens. That was powerful to me because it's like, damn, MJ is that fucking driven and can motivate himself to do whatever you put or whatever you tell him he can't do. He'll find a way to get it done. So I thought that was pretty dope. But they actually let us in on a little bit more with Michael Jordan's life. Like they show us never before seen footage of him in North Carolina, like when he was coming up. Uh, they showed him in practices. They showed him at, it was pictures and stuff of him at Laney High School. They saw some of his old coaches and things like that. So they showed you a lot. It was, it was pretty cool to see, like, you know, the people who are around to see Michael Jordan become who he is because they all agreed that his work ethic is what, you know, separated him from the pack. And then, of course, that growth spurt in high school. But um, most of the scenes of, of MJ's upbringing just provided context of who he was as a person to me. Like, the real meat of the story revolved around the rocky road that was that 1997-98 season. Like, that's when the Bulls were chasing their sixth title, and everyone knew this would be the last go-round for this historic dynasty. That's pretty much the big thing surrounding episodes one and two. So there's, like, plenty of backstories. Like I said, we learn about Michael Jordan to kind of see who he is, to see, like, how he makes certain decisions, you know, based off his upbringing. But in terms of, uh, like, the episodes one and two, majority of it took place around the 97-98 season, um, and all the bullshit that was going on within the front office and within the team. Uh, and it kind of made sense as to why the dynasty broke up, because that's why this is called The Last Dance. Uh, that's essentially what they were talking about for, for a majority of these two episodes. Uh, we got to see some struggles from this team, how some of the strained relationships hindered their trajectory, of course. Uh, basically, nobody fucked with Jerry Krause. Like, 
Nobody Like if you say You fuck with Jerry Krause He liable to get punched in the head By Scottie Pippen Jr. right now Like it, it could happen <laughs> But um, One of the, the reasons Why people was like Fuck Jerry Like keep in mind This was a Winning team This was During their dynasty They had already won Five championships So Jerry Krause goes in And tells Phil Jackson At the start of that season I don't give a fuck If you win 82 games This would be your last season As head coach of the Bulls so it's like, damn, he set the tone from rip. Like, as soon as you turn on the, uh, <laughs> as soon as you turn on the documentary, like that's what you see. Uh, that's like pretty early in in the um, the first episode. So uh, that's what made Phil Jackson kind of come up with that mantra of the last dance. He put it on like their playbook and shit like that. That was like the theme of the season. But Scottie Pippen was probably the ringleader of the fuck Jerry club. Like he didn't fuck with Jerry, none. Like. <laughs> like he was being rude as fuck to him But it was kind of understandable I get it Like that's mainly the topic of episode 2 Like Jerry fucks him on his contract And everybody So let me set the stage At this time Scottie Pippen is like a top 5 player in the league It's time for him to get paid The Bulls give him a 7 year contract For 18 million dollars You did not hear me wrong 7 years 18 million Pippen was the 122nd highest paid player in the league, making just over two mil a game, but he was the best player in the league, one of the best players in the league. And the reason why um, he just kind of took the money is because his family needed it. So his agent should be fucking killed or just like he should lose all licensing after <laughs> getting him a deal like that because he's basically playing for crumbs at that point. And that's another example of the organization kind of like, getting theirs and fucking a player. They know that he was worth way more, but it benefited them and he signed, so that's all they needed. Like, imagine how things would have gone in the social media era with that shit. Scottie Pippen was, like, clearly not holding back how he felt about Jerry Krause. Like, he was being disrespectful. Fuck him. Like, everybody in there knew he didn't fuck with Jerry Krause. So imagine if he had, like, an Instagram Live or some shit. We would have knew everything, man. They would have released his ass. He would have got traded. It would have been a whole different story. But um, to kind of spite the organization, Scotty uh, ended up having surgery, too, at the beginning of that year. So he wasn't able to play at the start of the season. And um, this is kind of where something comes up between him and Jordan to where uh, Jordan felt he was being selfish at this time because he didn't want to play for the team. He was pissed off. And... Jordan still to this day, like he said it on the documentary, he felt like Scotty was being selfish. I strongly disagreed. And I think that Draymond Green said it perfect. Like this is a, a clip from him. Uh, he was on a interview. I believe it was with Uninterrupted. But this is what he had to say. Me as a teammate, if, if Scotty Pippen does that, I'm not going to be mad at Pip because I understand what you're doing. And at the end of the day, I'm rolling with you because when it all boils down to it, they clearly that organization showed they're going to take care of themselves. They're not going to take care of us. And so I was kind of a little disappointed when Mike is still to this day is like Scotty was wrong. Like, mm -hmm. no, I'm, I'm like, no, you roll with your dogs. You know what I'm saying? Because they riding with you. You're making $36 million and this guy is making two. Yet you're saying that when you mention my name, there's no way you cannot mention Scottie Pippen name, and and he's just supposed to sit there. That ain't I don't know, up. Like that that don't make sense. It's very easy to say, like, no, nah, you should be good, and like, your your house is huge. Like, you got thirty six million dollars coming in, and this man got two. That's crazy. Yeah, like I said, I I think I agree with every single word that came out of his mouth. 
<laughs> like 100%. I think I agree with all of it. But, um, yeah, man, Scottie Pippen wasn't fucking with Jerry Krause, man. A lot of people wasn't. But Scottie, like I said, was the ringleader. Um, and he also didn't like that he was being involved in trade rumors. Like, he, he thought that was disrespectful. First of all, you underpaid me, then you dangled me in trade rumors, too. And it was later revealed after the series, um, it came out on Bleacher Report, Tracy McGrady said that he was one of the players that was involved in a package that would have potentially sent Scottie Pippen to, um, I mean, that would have sent uh, Tracy McGrady to Chicago. So that would have been a pretty crazy thing to see T-Mac playing with Jordan. That shit would have been dope. But um, ultimately, man, MJ's team won a ton of games, and they're considered by many people to be the greatest team of all time. So if you consider yourself a basketball fan, I think this is a must-watch series. MJ said that he thinks people will view him differently after this documentary airs. Um, he said people may think he's a bad person, and with so much unseen footage, I'm sure we're going to see some heated moments because no team reaches the success that they did without some turmoil and lessons. So uh, my final takeaways, MJ was more vocal than I realized because uh, obviously I didn't grow up watching him, but uh, he was a little more vocal than I, than I thought he would be. Like uh, He answered all the questions in the interviews pretty honestly. He didn't really dance around much. Uh, he expressed frustration when he was mad, but um, like I said, man, he didn't play in the social media era, so imagine if he could have expressed his concerns on a platform, like Michael's career could have went differently. I think people really underplay that factor in, in their careers, um, but I, I think uh, if we talking strictly basketball, MJ was a problem. Like, to think about, think about this, they were saying something that I, I realized on there that made a lot of sense. Like, that was a big man era. And Michael Jordan being drafted number three wasn't a surprise because most teams went for a big man. Like, if, if you weren't a big man, you weren't that much a part of the offense. Like, everything went through the post in that time. So when you think about Michael Jordan for a team to put the ball in his hands instead of a big man, he had to be more productive than the typical good center in the league with the possessions that he had. So... Think about it like this. A big man is going to typically shoot like 60, 65% from the field if he's solid. And he's going to score about 20 plus points if you're looking at like a Hakeem Olajuwon type player. So that's an easy 20 points. He's going to get you rebounds. He's going to get you a couple assists. And he's going to make more shots than he's going to miss. Now, that's usually not the case with a guard. Guards usually shoot a, a lower percentage. But Michael Jordan's production was so like amazing with the Rock that they put the ball in his hands instead of a big man, and he led his team to championships. So that just goes to show, like, he changed the game. Like, he paved the way for a lot of the, the, the players today, of course. Like, and, and that's not something that's new, but it was just cool to see it because for him to score 63 points in a game, when you think about, you know, the, the possessions of how slow the game was and how if everything went through a big man, there probably was a lot of fouls in the game and it, just a lot of two-point shots, you know, but... Michael Jordan running up and down the court, getting steals, breakaway dunks. Like, he brought more possessions to the game. He made it faster. He controlled it. And if he was playing in today's NBA with it already being fast, he might have averaged 48. <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and move on to quarter number two. Uh, and let's talk about the college players versus the G League and see what's the better route for these young kids. Negro. These high school players is changing the game, y'all. 
they really doing things differently, and it was on full display last week. Welcome back to quarter number two. Yes, we are talking about the top high school basketball players and, you know, whether it makes more sense to go the college route or go the G League route. So, initially, the college route is the thing that most people go to. Over 90% of the, the top high school recruits usually go to college because it's a one-and-done rule in place. So, you are no longer able to go to the NBA straight from high school. You have to do at least one season, whether it be in college or, you know, overseas. You have to be one year removed from high school. So the top players in high school are always, you know, forced to go to college. Like Zion wouldn't have went to Duke if he didn't have to, but he had to. So that's where he did his one year fucking internship essentially before going into the NBA. So this past week, uh, the number one player in the class of the 2020 high school senior class, Jalen Green, he had his final schools down to Auburn, Oregon, Memphis, and the G League was also in his um, in his his list as well. Nobody really thought he was going to go to the G League at first. I think usually when people don't go to college overseas is like the thing that most people go right to. Like, that's what LaMelo Ball did last year. That's what Brandon Jennings did in the past. But Jalen Green is kind of being a pioneer with this one. So he is going directly from high school to the G League. So he won't be playing. I'll clarify exactly what this is because he's not playing with – he's not playing against NBA-level competition already. So the NBA is adding a junior-level league featuring the top young players in the world. So – They reached out to a number of the top prospects. Most of them declined, but this is basically a credible remix version of the JBA. Like, that's what the NBA is doing. If you're unfamiliar with the JBA, it was the league that LeVar Ball pretty much came up with. It was really for his sons, but it was a a year after high school. You get paid if you play. It's like a professional league, and, you know, that's a way to kind of get on NBA radar. So I think he only did that for, like, one season. I don't remember LeVar Ball continuing the JBA, but essentially the NBA G League route is basically that. Like it's for the top prospects who are not want to go to college but want to get paid immediately. The G League is like the opportunity to do that. So Jalen Green went in this direction. He didn't go to college. And once again, like I said, he's the number one player. So him going is a, a huge, huge move. Um it's a big chess move, but when I look at it, I'm like, why not? I probably would have did the same shit. Like, he's officially a pro now, so they can pay him. So the G League is giving him, I seen he's getting more than $500,000 a year. Like, he's fucking 18. <laughs> $500,000 at the age of 18 is feel like I never have to work no more. But he can now sign endorsement deals and shoe contracts with other companies who are willing to take, like, he's a low-risk, high-reward type kid. You know what I mean? He's really talented. Um, he's the number one player. So most people throw money at the number one player anyway. So it's not a lot of risk involved because he's already on a streamlined path to being a top five pick in next year's NBA draft. So why not? And then, of course, you get the pioneer aspect, too, of him being somebody who's doing something that's never done before. That's easy to market. So if the NCAA suffers down the road, you can look at kids like Jalen Green as you know, large reasons why that happened. And imagine if you're like Adidas and he's one of your athletes and he took down the NCAA by himself. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that's some powerful shit. But 
once other top prospects see this working, they're going to start to do the same thing. Like, it always happens. They, when one does it, the other one follows, and especially if they see it working. Like, why do all the top kids go to Blue Bloods like Duke and Kentucky every year? It's because they see it works. Like, they know those institutions are express tickets to the league, so they sign up, and every chance they get, you know, if you can get a scholarship for Kentucky, you damn near, you know, destined a spot in the league. Like, look at Devin Booker. He averaged, like, 10 points at Kentucky, and is now an all-star in the NBA. So everybody knows when you go there, if you just listen to Coach Cal, you go into the league, you're going to make millions of dollars. So if they can see a different route, you know, that may not be schooling, because every basketball player ain't good in school. That's just the reality of it. So if maybe it's a different route, you know, to where they don't have to worry about the schooling aspect of it, now that's where the G League comes into play, and they're able to, you know, satisfy that to where you don't have to be a student but also put you in a position to be a better basketball player because you're working with NBA-level training. So I, I like the decision. Once again, this is not the first time we've seen the number one overall player take an alternative route, but Brandon Jennings is the last time, and that was in 2008. So this is 12 years later, and he didn't even go the overseas route. Like I said, he went the G League route, so he's still doing something that's never been done before. Um, but he isn't the only one. So just this past week, it was a lot going on in high school basketball. Another one of the top prospects, Josh Christopher, uh, Zaire Williams as well. They're both California kids, but they're all uh, ranked in the top 10, according to ESPN. So Zaire Williams is a small forward. He played at Sierra Canyon. Um, he had a big game winner in one of the playoff games uh, to help this team advance. So he, he's an advanced scorer. He's six foot eight. Wherever he goes, he's going to be a headache. But he decided to go to Stanford. So you know, with one chess move and Jalen Green happening, another one happening, you know, with Zaire, he's still, you know, a player like that committing to college shows that, you know, college is still the route to go because they can still, like I said, they're going to land majority of the top players. So, of course, most people are still going to do that because that's what's most comfortable. And for him to go to Stanford, I imagine he's a smart kid. <laughs> he probably actually cares about the educational aspect of it. But on the flip side, you look at Josh Christopher. Um, he committed to Arizona State. That's something that a lot of people seen coming for a while. I said that on one of the other episodes, but towards the end, I started thinking he was going to go to USC. Um, so it's good to see that he he stuck with Arizona State. Um, I think his older brother goes there. So, of course, what other <laughs> what what other guidance do you need than your older brother, who's like a year or two older than you, on the same team with you? He gonna help you get right. It's gonna be an easy transition. He's already got NBA size. So I like Josh Christopher. I like the decision to do that. Um, and then Isaiah Todd, he is a, uh, one of the top forwards in this class. He was originally committed to Michigan, but he actually um, last week uh, changed his commitment to the G League, and he did this after Jalen Green made his decision. So like I'm saying, once one kid does it, the other ones will try and follow. Like Jalen Green, the number one prospect in high school, is not going to do something that is going to put him in a position to fail. He's, he's going to take – he took all this time to make his decision, so I'm pretty sure he weighed his options out right. And for Isaiah Thomas – I mean, Isaiah Todd to make a move like this, you know, after originally committing to a college, he probably was leaning that way but just didn't have the confidence to do it because he's never seen that route work. So um, – and another player, Kyrie Walker, originally he was rated um, as a five-star player like his freshman year, but now he's ranked three stars. Um, he didn't go to college. He chose to bypass, and he is working with – Chameleon BX on a 12-month program to get him ready for next year's NBA draft. So um, hopefully Kyrie Walker can, 
you know, continue to improve his game and make it to the league. But these are top high school guys all making different decisions. So usually if you take 10 guys, maybe one of them, you know, over the past few years didn't go the, the college route. Like RJ Hampton didn't go to college uh, last year. Um, fucking LaMelo Ball, same class. Like that's two. But really for the most part, all kids usually go to college. So to see, you know, uh, Isaiah Todd, Jalen Green, and Kyrie Walker all go the professional route, it's something that's going to start heating up a lot more, especially if this next guy, uh, Greg Brown, he's one of the top forwards in his class as well. He's supposed to make his decision on the 24th, and he's actually going to be um, the guy we discussed in the third quarter. But whatever decision he makes is going to be a, a big chess move too. This can be a, a class that really makes history if a lot of these guys decide to take that G League route because I really do think it's like a no-brainer. But um, another thing I did want to highlight, though, is like the brands that these kids are creating before even moving on to the college level. Like In high school, these kids are well-known with millions of followers in some instances when you look at Melo and when you look at Zion. like These kids all had commitment dates. Like Every single one that I named, Jalen Green, uh, Isaiah Todd, well, Isaiah Todd had already made his um, announcement, but Jalen Green, Zaire Williams, and Josh Christopher, even Greg uh, Brown the third, they all have commitment dates that like thousands of people are tuning into, maybe even millions. Like I remember uh, Josh Christopher's name was trending on Twitter like the the night he was supposed to announce his decision. So it's like they have a large following to where they don't need college to build up a fan base for them. Like they already have a fan base. So. All they really need to do is just focus on their game, and that's why I think the G League is such a good route. But um, I like that they can control their value. They can control their image. This is the best way for a prospect to market himself without allowing somebody else to do it for him, which is, like I said, basically what happens in the NCAA. So as corrupt as some people within the NCAA can be, I do understand there are quality people within the organization, and I do think college can be greater without the one-and-done rule. Let players go to the league who feel like they're ready instead of exploiting them for just that one season that they have to go to college. There will always be players who still want to take the college route, like Zaire Williams and Josh Christopher are clear examples. You know what I mean? Um, but the NBA turns boys into men, and I think all boys are not ready to take that next step into manhood quite yet. And I think that's where college, you know what I mean, is valuable. I think that's where they have a role. Imagine how hard a guy will play for a school that he grew up watching, grew up wanting to play for, you know, maybe his parents were there. But imagine how hard that kid will go for a school instead of a guy who's only going there so he can declare for the draft the following season. Like, who's to say Cole Anthony couldn't have played through some of his injuries, but he knew he was going to the league the next season, so he didn't want to push himself. Like, that's what the one-and-done rule is going to create. So I love the decision that guys like LaMelo and Jalen are making bet on themselves and take the non-traditional route to the league. They know how good they are and they sacrifice their future and try and do this in a different way. And that's admirable. If it works out, they'll be able to serve as success cases in their respective routes uh, of how they got to the NBA. And this will now give every prospect after them, you know, more options after high school as to what they can possibly do to reach it to the NBA or wherever, you know, their goal is. So I think some of the best college players turned out to be average NBA players. So you don't need talent to sell college basketball. People are emotional, and we naturally gravitate to genuine passion and intense effort in the competitive setting. So if somebody is going hard, most of the, the colleges in the NCAA tournament, the colleges who invoke the most out of people are like the fucking mid-majors who beat the, the big schools. So it's not a talent thing. Like, it's just passion. And 
I think the NCAA should just stick to trying to sell passion instead of trying to get the NBA players through that one and done rule. And um, I think the G League route is something that's really good. It's easy money. You playing basketball. I, I think it's a no brainer if you don't intend on going to school all four years. So um, before we go ahead and move on to the uh, third quarter, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, play the sound of the week. So my sound of the week is something that's a little funny. Uh, I'm a big Austin Rivers fan, if y'all don't know. Yes, I know he's a role player in the NBA, but I thought he was going to be the man. So if you look at his high school mixtape, he was the shit. He used to dunk on people, cross everybody. And his dad, of course, is NBA head coach Doc Rivers, who coaches the Los Angeles Clippers right now. So this is a story um, that Kevin Garnett is telling with uh, Tony Allen, and it's about uh, Austin Rivers. Now, he kind of gives you the setting, but to give you a little bit background, um, Kevin Garnett was probably the best player on one of the best players on that Boston team that won that championship against the Los Angeles Lakers but this is when they were good Doc Rivers was their head coach and Austin Rivers was one of the best up-and-coming high school players so uh, this is the little uh, back and forth he got into it with with the big ticket and uh, just take a listen to hear what happened <laughs> I saw him play Austin Rivers when he was like a junior in high school right he got like a bucket on ticket. No, no, no. Let me tell the story. Go ahead, go ahead, yo. So we come story. in the so we come in, so we come in the practice probably two hours early. Everybody's in there, so we got practice. I'm saying ten. Everybody's <laughs> in there about eight thirty. So in there, Austin Rivers is seeing his father. You know, they used to come up and visit his dad because his dad they were still living in Florida. Mind you, he juiced up too. Man, he juiced up. <laughs> this man. kid Every is guy's up. coming here. He's <laughs> feeling himself. He had the little joint. So he playing one on one with with Paul. So then, you know, I see him and Paul, because Paul play ones in the morning just to get himself going before practice. So he's, you know, playing ones, and he's giving Paul some good work, you know. Then Perk, like, hold on, let me get some of this. I got to get some of this, because he's the stopper. Everybody, if you want to see where your game is, you play Perk one-on-one, right? Yeah. Perk ain't going for no pump fakes. He's just real sound. Man, he giving Perk the business. <laughs> Austin Rivers. Yeah, yeah got him. I come in here, so I'm like, I came in here, and, um, you know, he's playing guys to five. I think he mops. I think he. Uh, uh, I think he beat play, and then he mopped uh, Perk five zero, and you know. Can't, yeah, can't go to court. Like, wow. He's so he came in. I had my shoelaces <laughs> unlined, and I came in from the weight room, and he rolled the ball, and I said, "What?" And I looked at it, hit my toes. I said, "What?" I said, "Check." <laughs> I oh. said, "Check." Yeah, Dad. Everybody like. Ooh. And, and then they, you know, I'm a dragon, bro. I'm a dragon, and I know this is. I know your dad, the coach, so I got to be real careful on how I let this dragon out. <laughs> this is a kid. This is a high school kid. Got a lot of confidence, but I'm a dragon. This nigga just throw the ball to me. So <laughs> calm and collective. I just, you know, kick the ball to him. I walk back. He says, "Check." And I went on the other side of the check. You know, when you check, you on the bottom. So I got on the top. I said, "Nigga, you, you a kid, nigga? What you mean? You check, nigga. Get the ball. Like I, you don't get the ball yeah, first." Yeah, he was. He was on him. So. I tripped around and gave him the ball, and my shoes was untied, and he shot the first one and missed it. Matter of fact, he made it. He made it. We were going to five. He made the five. Boom. I said, hold on. I saw saw off the over. Matter of fact, he dunked it. Remember he dunked it, and the ball went all in, and I went like this. I said, hold on. And I tied my shoe, and I heard Pete say, yeah. I heard him and T.A. say, yeah, tie them shoes, kill them. And that's when the dragon came out. And I I just, I I mopped him 5-1. I had to go dragging. He had so much swag that I was like, man, do I spit fire on him? When I saw how hard he dunked it, oh, no, this kid's serious. Let me tie these up. I tied up, and I went five straight. But I I tapped him, keep working on your game. He was hot. Threw the ball. Man, rolled the scrap. He was hot. Dad threw him out. Get out. Go get him. Go work on your game. That's why you got mopped up. (laughs) Let's start practice.
What's good, everybody? Welcome to the second half of the ISO podcast, episode number 27. Thank you for sticking around. We are in the third quarter, and it's time to talk about Greg Brown III, one of the top high school forwards in the nation right now. And he's been drawing some Kevin Durant comparisons, you guys. So definitely somebody to keep an eye out for. Um, I think he's going to be extremely talented. If one of my homeboys, he his name is RJ, he told me this thing that he's been saying for quite a while now. And I can't lie, it's, it's some truth to it. What he says is, RJ's theory is that every player in the league whether they were in high school and college, they kind of did the same thing. Like in terms of their moves, how they handled the rock, they do the same thing, but when they get to the league, it's just heightened. So, you know, if somebody was, Kyrie was dribbling the ball and doing the same moves he was doing in high school, but just in the NBA now, he has way more control and those moves are even tighter. So if Greg Brown, the shit he's doing in high school is an indication of what he's going to one day be doing in the NBA, um, we need to pay close attention to what he's going to be playing basketball next season. So, Right now, um, he's scheduled to announce his decision on April 24th. Uh, He's currently ranked number... He's the number two power forward on ESPN, and he's the number nine overall player. Um, His list is is pretty pretty narrow now. Like, he has Texas, Auburn, Kentucky. Uh, The G League is now on his list. He added it to it. Um, But he also had UNC on his list and Memphis. So, me personally, I, I ruled those schools out. I took UNC out of his list because I don't think he's going to go there now that Zaire Williams didn't. Um, He was somebody who was possibly slated to go to North Carolina, but he flipped the script and went to Stanford. And then Jalen Green took the G League route, um, and he didn't go to Memphis. And that was somebody that people thought Greg Brown might have teamed up with. Um, So him not going to college, uh, after that, now Greg Brown added the G League to his list. So now... That's one of the late additions, but it, it may be, you know, the route he actually ends up taking. So let's look at the first one. The first one is Texas. Um, he's already received KD comparison. So, of course, Texas seems like a natural fit. Uh, he has an advanced perimeter skill set. Uh, he has the length. So I see the comparisons. To say somebody's going to be Kevin Durant is a lot. Like, I remember they were saying that about Brandon Ingram, and that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. But um, I do think he's going to be really good. He lives in Austin, Texas. So that's like his hometown team. So that's another reason why a lot of people have him slated to go there. Another factor, his dad played football there. (laughs) So the Texas Longhorn seems like the destined school for him. That's where I had him slated to go on one of the previous episodes. But I'll tell you the other uh, schools and institutions that we have to look at. And we'll see if I still feel the same way. So um, he has a great relationship with Shaka Smart, probably because his dad is one of the alumni there, and he is a top prospect, so I know they've had conversations about him. But um, I, I definitely can see him fitting in there. Texas has been one of the schools that's been putting out a lot of good forwards and big men in recent years. So, I mean, it, it seems like a good fit for him. Another school that he has on his list is Auburn. Um, this one is a pretty likely scenario, too. Because I think Auburn, a lot of people thought they were going to get at least two five-stars. They got Sharif Cooper, but they didn't get um, Jalen Green. And that was another guy that people thought they would get. Um, And this guy is too. So Greg Brown III uh, can team up with Sharif Cooper. That'll give you a five-star guard to play with in a tough conference. Um, So you get the opportunity to play against tough competition in the SEC. But Isaac Okoro just uh, declared for the draft. So that frees up a spot on the wing, and now that kind of makes his transition a little bit smoother. He doesn't have to share the court with somebody that may be equally as talented as him. So as a freshman, all you want 
is a seamless process into the league. Like, you just want a seamless transition. You don't want any roadblocks. You just want to go in, average like a dub, and become a top 10 pick the following season. So if that's what he wants to do, I can definitely see him doing that at Auburn. He'll probably win more games, and they'll be a topic of discussion for sure because they've been good in recent years. Uh, and then Kentucky. Can never go wrong with Kentucky. Um, shit, he would be joining a pretty loaded bunch, though. Uh, I, I'll just rule this one out now. I don't see him going there. He would be the third-ranked freshman forward in his class on that roster. So you still got B.J. Boston ahead of him, and you still have Terrence Clark ranked ahead of him. And they are all on that roster. They all kind of do a lot of the same thing. So I don't see him going there. Um, he wouldn't be able to dominate statistically. Uh, but he'll still get drafted high if he just does the little things. Uh, but like I said, I don't see him going there. Um, but they still do have a good level of competition. So if he decides to go to Kentucky, I understand it. But I think he gets that in pretty much every decision, what he gets from Kentucky. Like, it's not a lot. Um, and then look at the G League route. That's another route that we're looking at. So um, why the fuck not? <laughs> like, for real. He can go overseas too. But G League, like, why not? Money, like I said, 500 racks at 18 years old, I'm lit. <laughs> like, come on. And then you get the training, you get pro level training, guarantees, guarantees you pretty much being a top 10 pick the following season. Because I've always believed that players really get drafted on their high school resume. And that one year in college is pretty much in place for you to boost your stock. And if you play extremely bad, you can hurt your stock. But for the most part, I don't I don't feel like um, college is the place that that really just makes these players get that much better. I just think that uh, well, I'll, I'll say this: some colleges do help players improve. I'm not gonna say colleges don't help you improve, but I think some of these players aren't really challenged as much in college. Like Shabazz Muhammad is a good example. Dominated in high school physically was still able to dominate in college physically, so he didn't really have to sharpen his skill set as much. Goes to the NBA, and now he's exposed, and now he's out of the NBA. So that's an example of what I mean. Like, college didn't really push him. And for the kids who are already really good, college sometimes doesn't push them enough to where, you know, they, they have to be better at certain aspects of their game that they may not be strong at. So with the G League route, not only are you spending that whole year working on your game, but you're also not able to be scrutinized like the players playing college every week. So if you're a top prospect, look at like a James Wiseman. When you're a top prospect coming out of high school, you're already projected to go number one in the following draft most times. That's usually how it goes. So pretty much if you're already projected to go number one, that whole year in college is them trying to find reasons why you're not number one because they already think you're the best player. So they're just nitpicking your game that entire year when if you're in the G League, they're not seeing you. They already think you're the truth because you're the number one player, like if you're in the role of a Jalen Green. But then you come back during the draft and you weigh more. You know, everything is a little bit tighter. Your handle is tighter. Your shot is falling a little bit more. Now it's like, oh, shit, we have no reason but to solid. We have to take him number one because we have no reason not to take him number one. And I think sometimes college can serve as a reason why guys – you know, can have their stock hurt. So I think this will be a, a great decision for him too. Uh, I don't think he's going overseas. His dad uh, seems pretty involved, which is why I initially thought Texas. Uh, they made it clear that the NBA is the goal. So whatever college Greg Brown goes to, he said it's just a one and done agreement. So 
His dad knows that. Um, he's on the same page with them. So with that being said, if the NBA is the ultimate goal and he just added the G League to his list last week after Jalen Green made this decision, after Isaiah Todd changed his decision, I think Greg Brown III is going to the G League program. I think he's going to do the same thing. They turned, they got turned down by a lot of the top prospects um, in terms of this year, but they did get the best of the best. They got two top 10 players or top 15, and if they get Greg Brown, that'll be three. So that's a win in my book because whatever you get to fill out the roster, whether it be you know guys trying to make the G League or whatever the, the competition level might be, these guys should be okay to get enough reps, but also should be able to get enough confidence to bust the ass of whoever they're going to be playing against in this league. Because like I said, it's not NBA-level competition off rip. So that's one thing we got to keep in mind. It's only going to pretty much make them look good, but hopefully it just pushes them enough to where, you know, they can have that uh, transition to the NBA a little bit smoother. Because if we being real, yeah, the, the NBA implemented college because there were so many kids that, you know, came to the NBA and didn't pan out out of high school because it was such a tough transition. But at the same time, we don't have we didn't have the training that we do have access to now. So the transition might not be as tough. And a lot of these kids are playing with NBA players in the offseason now anyway. I know that's probably always been a thing, but right now it's like really, really, really common. So I do think you're starting to see players have an easier transition to the NBA too because it's not as tough. Like if you think about it, John Morant is a buck seventy-five. And he goes to the rack like consistently and is averaging almost a dub as a rookie in the NBA. So I think it's starting to get easier, um, the transition from college to pros. But high school to pros is a completely different scenario. I, I completely understand that. Um, but if you look at it, some of the best players in NBA history came out of high school. So just like you have some that succeed, you're going to have some that fail. Um, I just think this G League route is at least a good route to ensure that not as many kids fail. But I don't necessarily think... Um, you know, that it works for everybody, too. I think college should be in play for certain kids. So um, let's go ahead and move on to the fourth quarter, and we're going to talk about the trouble that is brewing between the dynamic duo in Utah. It is the fourth quarter, so we are going to get out of here with a bang. Our time is almost up, so we're going to talk about the last topic of the day. And that is the Utah Jazz. So we got trouble heating up in Salt Lake City, man. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert reportedly are not seeing eye to eye. Yes, we are quarantined and we are apart. But these two, they said when the team is back together and, you know, locker rooms is regular and shit, they beef it. <laughs> they, they, I remember initially once we found out that uh, Donovan Mitchell tested positive after Rudy Gobert, um, it says shortly after that that there was a report that Donovan Mitchell was pissed about that because uh, the teammates as well as Donovan Mitchell felt like Rudy Gobert handled himself uh, pretty carelessly when he actually, in fact, did have the coronavirus. He didn't know, if, but they felt like he was being irresponsible um, considering that he could have at least found out before he was acting like he didn't have it. So um, there was that. And then um, recently a report came out that uh, they may have to move one of them. Like, it got that bad, and their relationship was that strained. So, of course, a uh, virus that's fucking upending the entire United States, if you gave that shit to me just because you were playing around. And you got to think, these NBA players, they ain't like they didn't grow up together. These guys work a job together. So it's very easy to, 
beef with a coworker. <laughs> That's essentially what is going on. So in this particular instance, they're the two best employees at this job. So they got to find a way to keep both of them happy. Um, but if you have to make a decision, which way would you go? So let's just look at both players. Donovan Mitchell was only in his third NBA season. He's only 23 years old. He's already an all-star, and he made the all-rookie team, of course, because he came out from day one, Donovan Mitchell has been a scorer. Donovan Mitchell has been able to put fans in a seat because he's electric. He won the slam dunk contest, powerful. He's like a, a poor man's Dwayne Wade, um, but he, he can probably shoot a little bit better. But with Donovan Mitchell, he, he can score. That's what he does. That, that's been his main role for the team since he got there. Right after Gordon Hayward departed, that was the big question for this Utah team. Who will put the ball in the basket? Donovan Mitchell was the guy who stepped up and he's delivered ever since he stepped into the NBA. Um, and this is his best season to date. He's averaging 24 this year, uh, four rebounds, four assists, one steal, shooting 45% from the field, just over 36% from the three-point line, and at 86% from the free-throw line. That sounds like all-world production at the two-guard spot. Like That's exactly what you want out of your two-guard, a little bit of assists, a little bit of rebounding, a lot of scoring, especially considering he's the best on his team at taking people off the dribble. So he's doing what is asked of him, and he's doing it at a very high level. Like I said, he was named an all-star. But his teammate, Rudy Gobert, also made the all-star team for the first time this year. He don't got to cry about the shit no more. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, but he was, he was on TV at a press conference or something crying because he had got snubbed from the all-star game a few years back. But fast forward to today, Rudy Gobert is finally an all-star. Uh, this is his seventh season, so he's 27 years old. So you already got the um, the age working in the, the direction of Donovan Mitchell. Two-time defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert. Three-time all-defensive player. Uh, First-time all-star. He'll more than likely be four-time all-defense, and he possibly can win defensive player of the year again if they dick-ride him like they always do. <laughs> but uh, he's seven foot one, seven foot two ish 245 pounds. He's giving you 15 points. Uh, 13 rebounds, almost 14, two blocks, 70% from the field. That's crazy. You know how I kind of talked about how, how efficient a big man scoring is earlier in the episode uh, with the slow big man? Like, look at this, 70%. That's easy money. Just imagine how reliable that is, like, late in the game when you absolutely need a bucket. Why not dump it down to the big man who's going to make it seven out of ten times? Like, those are good odds. So you see how valuable a big man is in today's NBA, especially one that can finish, and that's what Rudy Gobert does. But he's not really offensive-minded. So you can kind of – I've seen him be – I've seen Rudy Gobert get taken out of games, and I've seen him get taken out of games by the Rockets with Robert Covington, which is a small guy. In comparison to him, he's 6'7", he's 7'2", but I've seen it happen. So he's not just this dominant force that can carry you on the offensive end. Most nights, he's just going to be the the guy on defense that just shuts everything down for the opponent. So that's where Donovan Mitchell is important. So you see how each have a role in their team that is vital to their success. Donovan Mitchell gives them that offensive punch, and Rudy Gobert provides the defensive presence. So what's more important? They say defense wins championships. I believe that, too. Um, but you got to be able to score the ball, especially in today's NBA. Um, I think what the Jazz should do, it really comes down to where they want to go as a team. If the the direction for your team is to win now, then you need to find a way to keep both. And I did see a report that came out today that said that that's ideally what they want to do. They need to find a way to keep both of them happy because that's going to make them as dangerous as they're going to be 
and Utah, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, that inside outside two way punch, which is very lethal, I might add. Like it's not bad, but I just don't think it separates them when you're looking at like the Clippers or the Lakers. So let's say if they absolutely had to make a decision, um, like I said, it really comes down to where they want to go as a team. Like if if they want to rebuild, I think you go younger, you go Donovan Mitchell. If you're in win-now mode, you can get rid of Mitchell and find another star guard because it's a lot of them in the NBA. Um, and you'll still have that defensive presence in Rudy Gobert that any guard can just dump down to and get easy assists because he'll he's damn near at the basket whenever he puts his hands up. So with, with both of these guys serving their purpose and doing it really well, uh, Donovan Mitchell obviously has more of a ceiling. I find it pretty crazy, too, because on Twitter, my, uh, my boy RJ, he has sent me something, and they were talking about uh, all these people just bashing Donovan Mitchell, talking about the Utah Jazz to be better without him, how he's just a high-usage player, he can't really shoot threes. That's a real analytic way to analyze his game um, because he's more than that. Like, for one, he's their their heart and soul when you watch them play. Like, he's the guy that gets them going. He's their leader on the court, but he also is their best scorer, too. The way he scores works for their team. They run a half-court offense, and he can get his own shots in the mid-range, whether it be a pull-up, a floater, getting to the rack and getting a foul. Like, he works perfect within their offense. So, for... People that were downplaying and saying like he was trash and his numbers is inflated. I thought it was like they clearly not watching the game because he's nice. They were comparing him to Shea Gilgis Alexander, which I think he'll be really good. But I think Donovan Mitchell is better. And I think that's pretty clear. So um, I think there is still some people who think Rudy Gobert is more valuable. But the answer to me is Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think he's the, the choice that you go with if you have to make a decision. Hopefully you don't. But he, he's the young, flashy guard. He's the star of the class of 2017 with Jason Tatum. Um, you can't go wrong with keeping him. And he has a winning attitude. When he joined that team after Gordon Hayward left, the Utah Jazz weren't expected to do much of anything in the Western Conference. And ever since he's gotten there, they've been competitive and they've gotten better and better each year. So um, I definitely think Donovan Mitchell would be the more valuable player between the two. You know, when deciding between these two players, one of the things that helped me make the decision, um, it's like this thing that I've used when comparing players over the years on multiple occasions. So when I'm looking at players and I'm comparing them, and it's unfair because it's kind of biased towards perimeter players, but I usually, when I'm looking at one guy versus another, it usually comes down for me or one thing that's heavily weighted for me is, can you go get a bucket when a bucket is needed? So like, at the end of the game, when it's the fourth quarter, you know what I mean? It's the game on the line, playoff basketball, it's half-court offense. You need to find a way to get your shot, regardless of who's defending you, and be able to make that shot. And that's one thing that I, I, I use to indicate who's the better player. And if you look at that with Rudy Gobert in comparison to Donovan Mitchell, more times than not, Donovan Mitchell is going to be able to get you a good shot in a clutch moment, as opposed to Rudy Gobert, because somebody has to spoon-feed it to Rudy. So... I mean, that, that helps me indicate that. And like I said, it's usually perimeter-oriented, but it works for me. And that's why I think perimeter players are so valuable because they have the ability to take over a game at any moment. So um, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you guys for sticking around. Um, I appreciate it. Once again, if you're not following me on Instagram and Twitter, please drop everything you're doing and go ahead and do so. That's at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's H-O-O-P underscore, underscore, F-A-C-T-S. And if you haven't visited the Hoop Facts website, 
please go ahead and visit at www.hoopfacts.com. And from there, you'll be able to see the latest basketball news all written by your boy. Thank you for tuning in. Um, episode 27, it was fun. Quarantine talk, for sure. I got to have something on the, on the docket next time we hop on. But um, as far as, as, as everything else, man, just stay positive. Um, try and stay inside if you can. Stay healthy and uh, just encourage and help one another whenever you have the opportunity to do so. So uh, before we get up out of here for the ISO spotlight track that I'm going to play, this one was kind of tough. I had like five songs that I was thinking about, so <laughs> y'all probably going to get those for the upcoming weeks. But the track I decided to go with um, is by Party Next Door. It's on his uh, new album, Party Mobile, and uh, this track is called Showing You. So like I said, there was a whole lot of music that's been coming out recently. Uh, so it was a tough decision, but this is the one that won out for me. Uh, this track is pretty dope. Real laid back. We a day after 420, but like I said, of all the people that's 420 friendly, you might want to let this one spin real soothing, real relaxing, but dope R&B track. But um, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. I'm about to get up out of here and relax, get ready for my week, and uh, just try and stay productive, you guys. So, Oh, and one thing I wanted to add, too, before I get up out of here, um, if you're looking for something to watch, uh, head to Netflix and check out uh, Black as Fuck. Hashtag Black as Fuck is what it is on Netflix. Uh, real dope series. Eight episodes, I believe it is, but real funny. Uh, really educational, too, for black people. Uh, definitely should go check that one out, but it had me laughing the entire time. Uh, real cool series. You should go go look at that if you looking for shit to do during the quarantine. <laughs> but uh, now I'm going to go ahead and get out here officially. Uh, thank you guys once again for, for tuning in. And uh, until next time, y'all. Thank you for tuning in to the ISO podcast, the number one podcast for true basketball fans. Peace out, y'all. Y'all stuck here for me, even though I broke your heart a million times. It's not a victory. Till the day I finally make you mine I made a decision That if I spend a little more time Showing you instead of telling you And loving you Quit pretending to Boy I stop hurting you Cause I know it hurts you so much Stop being free I can only stop a few times a week I'ma keep it straight, I'ma keep it neat For you So, man, I'm so in love Man, I miss you, miss you Man, I miss your touch I wanna give back everything Cause it means so much to me For me, even though I broke your heart a million times, it's not a victory till the day I finally make you mine. I made a decision that if I spend a little more time.
showing you instead of telling you and loving you. Quit pretending to. Hey, boy, 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 boy. I stop hurting you. Cause I know it hurts you so much. Stop being afraid. I get on this type a few times a week. I'ma keep it straight, I'ma keep it neat for you. So, man, I'm so in love. Man, I miss you, miss you. Man, I miss your touch. I wanna get back every day, cause it means so much to me. All the way down, that is yours. Trying to be down for yours. Baby, is everything to me. Y'all still here for me, even though I broke your heart a million times. It's not a victory till the day I finally make you mine. I made a decision that if I spend a little more time. Showing you instead of telling you And loving you, quit pretending to